Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab those. You're going to go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. If you have a Bible this morning, if not, there's some on the chairs there around you. Uh, there should be some uh, there in front of you or behind you. And if you're using one of those from the chairs, you want to go to page 512. Page 512. Jeremiah chapter 29. Page 512 if you're using the chairs there, uh, for, uh, the Bible there from the chairs. It's going to be a good morning. All right. Uh, so back in 2008, Lindsay, my wife, was pregnant with our first child, and she had been put on bed rest for two months. And that was an unexpected thing, and it was a very strict bed rest. And we were living in a second-story apartment in Sugarland, Texas. And, um, you know, uh, Houston and the Gulf Coast, if you've been there, you, you know hurricanes are the thing during certain seasons, right? You move to Oklahoma, and you expect tornadoes and hailstorms and earthquakes and windstorms and, you know, whatever. In, in the Gulf, course, Gulf Coast in Houston, it's tor- uh, tornadoes are rare, but it's, it's hurricanes. And so in 2008, we had Hurricane Ike coming through. Now, now, to give you an understanding of where everybody's headspace was, you remember 2005 was Katrina, right? And then shortly after that, uh, somewhere in the next year or so was um, Rita, which was scheduled to or was expected to hit uh, the Houston coast and then changed at the last minute. But there was this mass evacuation and ridiculous traffic jam that kept people in traffic for 10, 12, 24 hours at a time as they were trying to evacuate. It was a mess. So then in 2008, we have Ike. So you've had these two experiences coming up to Ike, and Ike is headed straight for the Gulf Coast, and it's supposed to come on, on land at Galveston. And we lived, it was only about 45 minutes from Galveston where we lived, so we, we are certainly going to feel that. And um, so she's on bed rest, and we have a dilemma. Do we risk evacuating and risk getting stuck in that mess that we had seen before with a wife who's very pregnant and on bed rest, or do we ride it out? And so we decided we're going to ride this one out. And so I can remember the night that Ike was, was making landfall. We didn't sleep much. There was... Um, a window and, and our master bedroom, and then there was our bed. And so we set up a, a little pallet area on the floor on the other side of the bed uh, where the window and the bed, the bed was in between us and the window. And we just, we just stayed there throughout the night. And we were, we were settling in, knowing that this hurricane was coming, not knowing if we're going to have trees come through the window, not, not expecting flooding up to the second story, but wondering if we'll be stuck in a second story because of flooding. I mean, we, there was all kinds of unknowns, but we knew as we chose to stay there, we were going to be settling in and just waiting and just going through whatever came. And, and of course, as we settled in, we were hoping that things were going to go better than what they, they were projected to be. Um, they did, by the way. But we had to settle in. And, and, and sometimes when it comes to living our lives as followers of Christ, sometimes we get into situations or we find ourselves in seasons and, and we wonder, is this really what I'm going to go through? It, it, how long am I going to be in this? And the verses that we're looking at this morning from Jeremiah 29 are going to help us to understand that sometimes we must settle in, meaning we're going to be in it, we're going to go through it, but then we settle in and we wait in hope for the Lord. And that's a different type of settling in when you're waiting in hope for the Lord than just settling in wondering, I hope things go well. And so as you turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, a a few things before we jump into Jeremiah. So we've been in the prophets the last few weeks. And by the way, um, Dylan, thank you for covering for me last week. Um, I threw him in on Wednesday of last week because I unexpectedly had to be out. 
And it was a very hard passage, and so he had to wrestle with that from Wednesday going forward. So thank you for jumping in on that. Um, and he explained some more about the prophets last week when, when he was preaching, and so we're still in the prophets. And so as you're doing this reading plan, if you're following on the reading plan, you're reading right now sections of the prophets, and you've got some books that are shorter, say like Micah, you would have uh, read Micah within the last couple of days perhaps, and then Jeremiah or Isaiah, they're much longer books. And that's the difference between the major and the minor prophets. Major prophets are longer books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel. Minor prophets are the shorter books. Joel, Haggai, Habakkuk. You know, the ones that get stuck together in your Bible and you never see them because you're just passing over them. Major, minor. It's not because one prophet was more important than the other or that the message was more important than the other. It's just about the, the, the size of the content. Jeremiah is one of those prophets that we would call a major prophet. It's a long book. And Jeremiah is one of those prophets who he was told, you're going to prophesy to people who aren't going to listen to you. You're going to prophesy to people and they're still going to end up receiving the discipline and the judgment of God because they're going to remain rebellious. Now, how would you like? Now, now what if I was called as a pastor to Houston Church eight years ago and, and God told me, you know, you're going, to, you're going to come and you're going to preach to this church where there's not anybody who's going to come to Christ. Nobody's going to care about the Bible. They're not really going to change their lives. They just want you to tickle them ears. But I want you to go. How, how would I feel about doing something like that? I probably would not have signed up for it, to be honest with you. I probably would have kept looking and be like, well, I'm going to find a place where there's people that are, that are hungry and want to know the word, right? Well, Jeremiah was told, by the way, that's not you, um, but Jeremiah was told, I said, what if? Um, but Jeremiah was told, you're going to preach to these people and their heart's not going to change. Their lives are not going to change, but I want you to continue to go and preach to them. And so he does, and he does faithfully. The other thing that, that Jeremiah did was he, he preached over a long period of time. So he saw some history take place. And so now, remember we've talked about the North Kingdom and the South Kingdom where the nation of Israel had been divided. And there was a civil war that took place when King Solomon died. And, and then you had the 10 tribes in the north and two tribes in the south. And they continued as these two different nations for the rest of your Old Testament history until God took them out. And the northern kingdom, those 10 tribes, that by this point when Jeremiah is writing, they have already been taken into captivity by the Assyrians. That happens in 722 B.C. We are now in the 600s B.C. and the late 500s B.C. So we've had some time, but the same thing is about to happen to these southern tribes, Judah. right? And so what's happening, though, is Babylon is coming up on the scene. Now, there was three different um, periods of time where the Babylonians took people from Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom, and led them away into captivity. Three different phases. And I'm going to throw out some dates just to, to, to give you the dates, but it's not important to remember the dates. 605 BC was the first one, and that was when some of the more important, more prominent members of the, of the kingdom were led away. And Daniel would be an example of this. So when we get into Daniel in the next couple of weeks, know that Daniel was taken away and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, his friends, right? They were taken away in that first one. 597 BC, a couple years later, um, some of the priests and the Levites, the leaders in the temple were taken away. Okay, and that's gonna be referenced in our verses today. And then finally in 586 BC is when the rest of the people were taken away and the city of Jerusalem and then the temple were destroyed by the Babylonians. Okay, so Jeremiah spans all of that and a little bit more. And he's writing, uh, as we get to chapter 29, he's writing now to some of the people who have already been taken away in that first and possibly second wave. Okay, so there's some people that were living in Jerusalem but have now been transported to Babylon. They're no longer in their own home. They're no longer uh, with all of their, their friends and family, but then there are still some still back in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is going to write them a letter. He's going to write from Jerusalem to the people 
who are in exile. And so let's take a, a look now at Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14, but we're going to, we're going to jump around a little bit. And I said we're going to, sometimes you've got to settle in and wait and hope on the Lord. We're going to break that up. First, let's look at what it looks like to settle in. So verse 1 here, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So that context I just gave you helps you understand this. Jeremiah is in Jerusalem writing letters to people who have been taken away in that first and second wave. And they're in, they're in Babylon at this point. All right, we're going to go ahead and jump to chapter four, uh, verse 4 now to get the content of that letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the first thing I want to point out in this verse, and then we're going to see it again, is that make no mistake, and God does not deny this, he is the one who sent his people into exile. They, they continuously rebelled against God and God told them as he was bringing them into the land all the way back in Exodus and Deuteronomy, listen, here's the covenant that I've made with you. If you obey me while you're in the land, you will experience blessing. Things like crops will grow when they're supposed to grow. Rain will come when it's supposed to come. You'll be at peace with your enemies. But then he would say, but if you don't obey, if you chase after other gods, then there'll be famine in the land. Then you will be ruled over by other nations. There will not be, be crops when you need them and your cattle and all your animal, your livestock will be taken away. And we've seen that happen in spurts throughout the Old Testament history, but now it's led to a point where God is sending his people into exile for a much longer period of time. And God, God is taking ownership of that. He's not making any apologies for that because this is the way that a loving God disciplines the people that he loves. And I think you're going to see that more. So he, he starts out to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Verse 6, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. What does that sound like God's telling them to do? Settle in. It's going to be a while because here's what we're going to find out. There were some other prophets or self-proclaimed prophets that had been taken away into Babylon and they were telling the people of Israel, this is just going to be a short thing. Don't settle in. Let's just, let's just wait this short period of time and then God's going to bring us back because they had experienced before the discipline of the Lord. They had experienced, take the book of Judges, for instance, that uh, the, the, the nation would come and rule over the people. The people would repent, and then God would raise up a judge. That judge would deliver them. They would live in peace for some time. They'd, they'd experienced this. So they're looking at this. They're going, it's just another one of those seasons. Don't settle in. But yet now God, speaking through Jeremiah, tells them something very different. He, he, he's telling them things like, build your houses. Put down roots. Right? And, and plant gardens and eat their produce. You've got to stick around long enough. If you're going to be there, you need to be able to live off the land. He's telling them, have sons and daughters. Take wives. In other words, keep your families growing. Keep multiplying as a nation while you're here. Don't decrease as a nation. Keep multiplying. He's telling them to settle in. Verse 7. 
but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Again, there it is, where I have sent you. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, I would not have expected that. Okay, so the Babylonians, they were some of the, the meanest people at this time. They had perfected the arts of war like no one else in their day had, which is why they were the ruling empire at this time. They, they were known for brutality. They were known for ruthlessness. They were known for sieging impenetrable cities. They had some fantastic war strategies that no one else had before, which is why they were so powerful. And now the people of God, the people of Jerusalem and Judah have been taken away into Babylon and they're now living in a land that's not their own where people worship gods that are not the living God, the true God. And, and the people in Babylon and the rulership of Babylon, the government of Babylon, is corrupt by any stretch. There, there's no question. They don't follow God's laws. And yet, God tells his people who are going to be living there, I want you to seek the welfare of that city. I want you to do what benefits that city. I want you to pray to the Lord on that city's behalf. I want you to ask the Lord to, to do well for that city, to bless that city, because if this city does well, you will do well. In other words, settle in, you're going to be there a while, and it's going to go well for you if it goes well for them. Now, I, I read this and I'm thinking, man, if I'm a missionary in a foreign country, this right there, you seek the welfare of the country you're in, regardless of the type of government it has, regardless of whether you agree with them or not, regardless of the, 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 the vileness of their corruption, you still ask the Lord to bless them. Why? Because you're ministering in the midst of a country to a people, and, and the Lord is telling his own people, I want you to pray for these people. Now, does that mean you approve of, of things that are sinful? Absolutely not. I mean, you don't approve of sinful actions or choices when you pray for the people that you love, do you? No, but you're still praying for them and you're asking the Lord to bless them and you're asking the Lord to, to, to care for them or to provide for them or protect them. And you can do that without at the same time endorsing something you disagree with, right? God's saying, seek the welfare of this city. You're gonna be there a while. I want you to, to pray on their behalf. So I'm thinking, man, if I'm, if I'm a missionary in a foreign country, this is my posture towards the government and the, the people in that land is, Lord, I want you to bless this country. But then I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm personally not a foreign missionary. Some of you might be one day. And I pray to God that he raises up some of you in this room to go to places that are not your home, where they worship gods that are not your God, and you go to reach people with the gospel that have not heard the gospel. I pray that that happens from people in this room. But maybe, maybe some of you won't be that. Maybe instead you're going to continue to live in a, a nation that's pretty well blessed when you compare it to the rest of the world. But maybe you don't agree with everything in your local government, your state government, your federal government. Maybe you don't agree with everything that's going on. And yet I think God would still say to us, and he does, pray for this people. Seek the welfare of the land that you're living in and pray to the Lord on their behalf. Now, I could point you to some New Testament verses for that, and some of you know those, right? Like 1 Timothy chapter 2, where, where we're supposed to pray for our government leaders and kings and rulers and those in authorities. We're, we're supposed to pray for them, absolutely. Guess what, though? What, what's behind this also, seek the welfare of the city, is be a good citizen. Christians, followers of Christ, 
should be the best citizens. In most cases, we should be the best citizens. Never should we, should we change the way we live and, 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 and live in sinful ways or compromise living in, in ways that honor with the Lord in order to please someone. But as, as far as we're able and we're able to honor the Lord, we should be the absolute best. Do you know in, in the early church, after the time of Acts, after the time of the apostles, when the apostles were starting to die off, and we're now talking first century church, and the Roman government um, was starting to persecute Christians because they thought Christians were the ones who have started fires and who were bringing down the government. And, and there is a group of Christians, and we call them the apologists. There's a group of Christians who, who rose up and they were writing letters to the Roman government and they were, they were basically arguing their case why you don't have to worry about Christians. And you know some of the things that they were saying to, to the Roman emperor? You don't have to worry about followers of Christ because we are among the best of your citizens. We are seeking the welfare of your government. Yeah, we may not worship Caesar as Lord and Savior, but we are good citizens. We are obedient to the law. We are loving to our neighbor. We take care of those who are oppressed and in need. Christians, followers of Christ, should be among the best citizens. And I fear that we don't have that name in many circles. And it's because of the way we act. Or it's because we take the name of Christ and we slap it on some kind of behavior and we say that's what Christians do and it's not because you can't find it in the scriptures. And so what happens is you've got people who are claiming the name of Christ maybe because it's cultural, it's the right thing to do in the culture that you live in. And, and, then, and then you're living in ways that in no way honors Christ. And so God tells his people, I want you to seek the welfare of the city. I want you to pray to them and I want you to seek their welfare. Verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. Verse nine, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So here's the problem. Here's why Jeremiah is writing the way he is because there's prophets, self-proclaimed prophets who are saying, God told me and something along the lines of we're not gonna be here very long. And Jeremiah is writing him, God's speaking through Jeremiah, and he's saying, I didn't tell them to say that. I didn't send them with that message. And I want to just say to you this morning, not everybody who speaks or claims to speak in the name of God is speaking for God. See, there's, there's two extremes that we can go when someone walks up to you or someone that you're watching or listening to, they say, the Lord told me, or I think the Lord is telling me, or this is what the Lord says, and there's two extremes we tend to go to. The first one is, well, if the Lord said it, then... And we chase after it like, like it's absolute truth and we've never tested it. We, we, we've never gone back to see, is this line up with the scripture? Just because someone has a platform or a podium doesn't mean you should listen to them with authority. Because the only authority I have when I stand on a platform like this or behind a podium, um, you know, metaphorically speaking, is that I'm coming from the word of God. And the extent to which I'm teaching the scriptures and I'm teaching it accurately, that's where the authority comes from. But if I get up here and I say, well, let me just read you a verse, say like Jeremiah 29, 11, which we're going to get to in a minute, and I read that verse that everybody really loves, and for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, and, you know, and, I, and I say, and then I go off on a tangent, I'm like, you know, here's what it's going to look like for the Lord to prosper you. What kind of truck do you want? Man, do you want a four by four? I mean, the Lord can give you a four by four. And he absolutely could, I know that, but if I started going off on that and I'd say, this is what it looks like to bless you and I pay no attention to the context of the scriptures or where that verse falls, you should stop listening to me. 
You should instead have your Bible open and going, wait a minute, that's not what it, how are you getting that from this? That's not there, right? Just because someone says, the Lord told me, doesn't mean you automatically take it. That's one extreme, right? Because there's a lot of people on TV or that maybe you interact with who are claiming to speak on behalf of the Lord. And I think the Lord would be saying today, I didn't send them and I didn't tell them to say that. But then there's the, the, the other extreme where, where, you know, on one extreme, we're very gullible, we're very open, but on the other extreme, we're very closed. And someone comes up to you and says, I'm, I think the Lord's trying to tell me something, and you go, he doesn't speak like that, and walk away. Or you close your ears, right? Because you're not open to hearing from the Lord unless they're reading it right, 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 right from here, right? Well, what, what chapter and verse? And, and, and so you, you close your ears, and yet the Lord can speak through people in ways that don't contradict this, but maybe you can't find chapter and verse. And so someone might come up to you and you've maybe many of you experienced and they say, I think the Lord's trying to tell me. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that our position, our posture shouldn't be immediate closeness, but it should be general openness, but with discernment. Amen. Right? I, 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 if someone comes up to me and they say, I think the Lord's trying to tell me uh, to pass this on to you. I want to listen to that, but you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to just take it as absolute truth and then never check it and then act like the Lord told him that or heard that. Instead, I'm going I'm to weigh it. I'm going I'm to run it through my grid of what I know from the scriptures. I'm going to go back and I'm going I'm to check it. I'm going to go, okay, does that seem right to me based on what I know about God's character, based on what I know about how God has revealed himself? I mean, if you're telling me that you're giving me permission to go sin, well, I better not follow that because that's not the Lord speaking, right? But, but I should have a general openness, but with discernment. I'm going to go test what you've said. And listen, most of the time, most of the time, when people are saying this kind of thing to us and they're saying, I think the Lord's trying to tell me, most of the time it's going to be some form of encouragement. And who doesn't need to be encouraged at some point? And most of the time when they're, when they're, when they're saying something, they might say, I think the Lord just wants to remind you that he loves you. Why wouldn't you accept that, right? Or, or maybe, maybe it's, hey, I think the Lord's trying to tell you something through the situation that you're in. Why wouldn't I be open to that kind of thing? But I think we tend to swing one extreme or another and we're either way open and anyone who claims to speak for the Lord, we give attention to, or we say nobody and I'm only gonna read it from the scripture and I'm not gonna listen to anybody who says anything um, that I can't find chapter and verse for. But the Lord can speak through people and does speak through people, oftentimes to encourage, oftentimes to remind us that he sees you, he hears you, that you're, 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 not, you're, not, you're not being overlooked by him, oftentimes he will do that through people. And if we're not open to receiving the Lord, speaking in those ways, we're missing something he wants to bless us with. So, so we gotta find somewhere in the middle where we're open and discerning. I'm not gonna take everything. Sometimes I may reject it because it's not from the Lord. Other times I may go, okay. And other times I may not know and I'll say, okay, Lord, if it's from you, help me to know it. Help me to understand that. And if it's something where they're saying, you know, I can remember, um, golly, this was, uh, maybe it was here a year, maybe. Maybe it was two years. I was teaching a class in this room during the first hour, and uh, a gentleman walked in. He was clearly not someone who came here. And I knew that for a couple reasons, but one was he was wearing a three-piece suit, right? <laughs> and he sat through the class, and I'm thinking, what is this guy here for? What is this guy here for? And he comes up after the class and he tells me something. I'm not going to tell you what he told me, but he tells me something. And it was along those lines of encouragement. The Lord dropped me off here. I, was, I wasn't even going to pass by here, but the Lord dropped me off here. And I didn't know why. 
And I sat in this room and he said it was you and here's what I wanted to tell you. And I'm gonna tell you, there's nothing wrong with what he told me. And I took it and I received it. And by the way, at that time, I was far more skeptical than I would have been now about something like that. And I'm waiting going, okay, crazy loony Ben, you know? But, but what he said, even that's my point, is even if that's my attitude, what he said, it was encouragement. And no, no way should I have rejected the encouragement, even if it's not from the Lord. This guy was giving me encouraging words. Why would I not receive that? I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. We, we get so close sometimes and we miss what the Lord's doing, but then sometimes the Lord says, that's not for me. I didn't send them. Verse 10. So when we, we settle in, so he's telling his people, we, you're gonna settle in, you're gonna be there for a while, and those people who are saying otherwise, they're not for me. But as we settle in as a people of God, we wait in hope on the Lord. And here's where verse 10 comes in. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. He's telling them now you're gonna be here around 70 years, about a lifetime. There's gonna be many of you who die in this land. There's gonna be many people who are born in this land. But after that time is up, I'm gonna come back and visit you. I'm going to restore you. Now, why would the Lord do that? I mean, he, he could just say, you know what, I'm done. You guys, are, you guys are stubborn, you're rebellious. Why would he do that? Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil to give you a future and a hope. And now we gotta talk about this for a minute. We have to talk about it. Because if you get that verse and it's just put on your wall, which is fine, or it's on your coffee mug, which is fine, or it's on your shirt, which is fine, or it's your life verse, which is fine. Personally, I think your life verse should be Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22, whatever. <laughs> but if, if you just take that verse, this verse has been severely abused. Because this verse, just on its own, if I were to get up here today and just put verse 11 up here, then I could say to you this. I could say things like, hey, this is written to you. This is written to you, and the Lord is saying to you, I know the plans I have for you. And, and I know the plans, my plans for you, they're good plans, they're good, they're good for your peace, they're good, they're not for evil, and I'm gonna give you a future, and I'm gonna give you a hope, and I know you have heard and experienced people talking about the many physical blessings that will come with this, because God has a plan for you. And I could give you a really great and inspirational sermon, because I just know how to talk, right? And, and I, could, I could really build you up on this verse by itself. But what I want you to see this morning it's not that this verse doesn't apply to us. I'm going to tell you how it does for you to consider. But what I want you to see is all the context that just led up to this. Judah, southern kingdom, a certain time in history, being led away to Babylon. God says to his people who are in Babylon, after 70 years, I'm going to revisit you because I know the plans I have for you. Okay, we have to understand the context first. And that will actually help us dig the riches and the, the depth of the application much more. But if, if we don't understand the context, that God has taken a group of people that he has himself created, by the way. He created this group of people, this nation of Israel. He created them out of nothing through one man, and he made some promises to this man. And these people, even though they've been blessed and, and, and loved by the Lord in such a unique and special way, has continued to rebel against him. And God is disciplining them. And he's saying, but I'm not divorcing you. 
Because in 70 years, I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you back because I know the plans I have for you and they're plans that are good and they're not evil and they're, they're to give you a future and a hope. In other words, you're not going to be wiped out, people of Judah. The promises that I made to your father Abraham, I will keep them because I know the plans I have for you. So you've got to understand the context. But this is not immediately written to me or you. In other words, if I just find this in my devotional book for the day and I'm reading it and the devotional says, see, God has a plan for your life and God wants to do well for you, that may be all well and good and that may be, may be true in your case, but you need to know the depth of this. What is that good? Believer in Christ, God's good for you. The plan that he has for you, the, the peace and not evil, the future and a hope has very little to do with physical blessings. God can do that and does do that, but that's just so minuscule. And if he doesn't do that, this is still true. Because believer in Christ, the, the, the promise to you and to me is Philippians 1, that I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, you and I still deal with sin. You and I still deal with struggles, with evil in this world. You and I are still facing opposition when we try to follow the Lord. We, we, we have injustice in this world. Follower of Christ, believer in Christ, God's plan for you is that it won't always be like this and you will know a time where it's not like this and you will know a period of, of peace and you do have a hope because even though you die in this life, Jesus says, even if you die in this life, you will yet live. Believer in Christ, God has a plan for you and it's a plan for welfare and not evil. It's to give you a future and a hope but it's in Christ. And it's that he's gonna complete what he started in you, that your body won't always be sick. Your body won't always be frail. Your body won't always fail you. God's gonna redeem that. This world, this creation won't always be frail and, and there won't always be natural disasters and injustice will be squashed. And we will be with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth that God completely redeems, removes the impact of sin and, and death in the world and sickness is all gone and we get to live in the presence of God as he intended, as we get to know him in the intimacy that he intended for us when he created us. That's our plan. But guess what? That's not what most of your devotionals are gonna tell you. And so hopefully now you've got some context. And God says, in that day, you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you because when God acts on behalf of his people, hearts are changed and they're reoriented not towards myself. If someone claims to be changed by God and their focus is on themselves, they're not understanding the gospel because the gospel changes me and gets me off of myself and onto the Lord. He says, then you'll call upon me and you'll pray to me and I will hear you. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And verse 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. He's telling his people, I'm gonna bring you back. You will know peace in the land that you once lived. Because sometimes... You must settle in and wait in hope for the Lord. Some of you have been going through some really tough stuff, and that's an understatement. And you've been in it for seasons, for years perhaps, and you're wondering, has God forgotten me? Has God seen? 
And and verses like this this morning are are verses that for the follower of Christ, for the person who's trusted in Christ, who belongs to God, he's part of his family, we, we, we can know, you know what, even if I'm going through tough stuff, God may not deliver me from it. He doesn't, he doesn't deliver everyone from the tough stuff. We know tribulation, we know trial, we, we have people who are followers of Christ all across the world who are persecuted daily, killed for following Christ, and God doesn't spare them from that. Sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he says, settle in and wait. Can you imagine being a Christian in Iran? Can you imagine being a Christian in China? I mean, we get to gather freely. They don't. Sometimes God says, settle in. But when you settle in, you wait in hope on the Lord. Some of you, that's what you need to hear this morning because maybe you're still in the season and you're not sure when you're coming out of it. You're not sure what it's gonna look like to come out of it. But I want you to be reminded this morning that if you've trusted in Christ, you belong to, to Christ, that God has got a plan for your life and it, is, it, it may not improve your life immediately in the ways that you're looking for, but he's not going to divorce you. He's not going to disown you. He's not going to separate himself from you because in Christ, as Paul would say in Romans 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is no greater tie than that love that God has for us in Christ. Others of you, uh, perhaps it's, it's you've been through that season and you wonder, God, were you even in that? And again, the answer is yes. Because with God, nothing is wasted. Nothing. You've been through some hard stuff. You wondered, you, you wrestled during that time with whether God's in this or not. Now you've come out of it. And maybe your posture is, but I don't have anything to do with him. And yet he's the very one who brought you out of it. He's the very one who sustained you through it. And now you would turn your back on him. Now you would walk away from him when he's never left you. Others of you, maybe this morning you're listening and you'd say, I'm not a Christian, I don't, I don't follow Christ, I'm here for whatever the reason would be. But I want you to hear something this morning about this God, and I want to make sure that you know and understand this about this God that we learn about in this book. He loves his people. And just like a good parent disciplines his kids or her kids, because listen, hear me out, parents. You don't discipline your kids. You don't love your kids. Because if your kids are making destructive choices and they're being disrespectful or they're disrespecting authority, well, just watch the news. You're laughing. (laughs) But that's what happens. And even greater than that, not learning how to respect authority, is if you don't respect the authority of your parents, how will you ever respect the authority of the Lord? Parents love their kids and so they discipline their kids out of love. That's, that's the, the ideal. I know it's not the case for everyone. I know it's not always the case in every home. But God is a perfect parent. And he disciplines the children that he loves. And it's for their good. And if a, a child of God is going down a path that is destructive, the Lord will discipline his child. He will prune that plant so that greater growth will come because he does not want to see his children go down a path that leads to death. And sometimes it means sending his people into exile for 70 years by a group of people who are ruthless, that his people would learn and turn. I want you to hear this morning, if you don't call yourself a Christian, that this God, he does discipline, but it's out of love. And if he didn't discipline the people that he loves, I'd be concerned about his love. 
If God said, I'm gonna let you in, but then go live however you want, I'd be concerned about that kind of God. That's a God that I've created because that God approves of everything I do and your God would approve of everything you do and that's no God at all. And so maybe this morning the Lord's saying, hey, this is who I am. I love my people and I love them fiercely and I want you to be one of mine and maybe he's calling out to some of you this morning, trust in Christ. Trust in Christ because he has taken the penalty and the, the judgment for the sin that you've, you've committed and that has infected you and you can never do anything about that but God did it through Christ so that you would not know condemnation which is separation from God for all of eternity but instead you would know life. And it doesn't mean, if you trust in Christ, it does not mean that you will get your four by four truck. It does not mean that you will never be sick again. It does not mean that you will never have bad days. It does not mean you'll never be fired. It does not mean you'll never know tragic loss. You might and you probably will, but God will sustain you through that and give you joy like you have never known and peace that you can never understand. Sometimes you must settle in and wait in hope for the Lord. So let's let that settle on us. So God, we thank you. And let that hit us where it needs to hit us. I pray that in Christ's name, amen.